Welcome to the Sensory Change Podcast, where we learn to think differently as a community supporting sensory kids at all levels. We share all sensory matters through discussions and interviews with experts in the field to get practical ideas and simple strategies to implement in day-to-day life. Here is your host and author of Against the Odds, Dana Latter. Birkins is a clinical psychologist, nutritionist, best-selling author, and a mom of four. Hello, Dr. Nicole. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Dr. Nicole, we both share a holistic approach regarding children's development. How do you support parents of a child with special needs, and what kind of behavioral difficulties do you support? Yeah, I have been working with kids with neurodevelopmental and mental health issues for over 20 years now. So many of the children and teens who come to my clinic um, have diagnoses of things like ADHD, sensory processing disorder, autism spectrum disorder, um, learning disabilities, those types of things. And then also I see many um, young people who have issues like uh, severe anxiety disorders, obsessive compulsive disorder, depression. And in fact, many of those kinds of conditions overlap with diagnoses of things like autism, ADHD. So many of the people that that I see have um, multiple challenges going on. And the, the focus at my clinic is really to help support not just the children or the teens who are having these issues, but also to support um, the parents and the family as a whole, because working with parents of children with these challenges is really where we get the biggest results. Um, Helping parents to have an understanding of what's going on for the children and um, strategies to to support them. And we have a wide range of um, approaches and integrative kinds of solutions that we use, um, not only with the children, but also with the parents. Uh And what do you think is the rise in so many cases of the autistic spectrum? Like, mm. It's a great question. And I, I think, unfortunately, we don't have um, a very good research-based answer, although there are several things that the research shows um, seem to be going on and several things that I've seen in clinical practice now um, over the last 20-plus years. Um, The the first is really looking at the environment that we live in and how um, much more toxic the environment has gotten. So everything from the quality of air, um, the quality of water, uh, the soil that our foods are grown in, um, all of those types of uh, environmental toxin issues play a role. Then we look at things like food supply. Our diet has changed dramatically. Um, over the last hundred years. If we look back to the kinds of foods that our grandparents were eating, um, even in our parents' generation, and now we have a much more um, heavily processed uh, type of diet with a lot more chemicals and um, sugars and dyes and and things in food that uh, we're consuming, that our children are consuming, um, that can really play a detrimental role in um, not only children's physical health, but also their brain development and their mental health. So 
Uh, food is a big one. Um, and then uh, the things that we are, uh, you know, exposed to um, in terms of things like medications and um, chemicals in the environment, chemicals in products that we use to clean and and things even that we put uh, on our children in the form of, uh, you know, lotions, soaps, those kinds of things. Um, our children's bodies are being exposed to so many more things that they have to process, even from the time before they're born, when, uh, you know, they're still in the womb, all the way through then uh, infancy and childhood. And, and what the research is showing that for some children, um, they really struggle to be able to process all those chemicals, the, uh, all of the things that, that they're being exposed to can create problems, not just physically, but also in the brain. And for some then, that leads to the symptoms that we call autism or ADHD or any of these other types of diagnoses. Uh -huh. So how can actually the right nutrition make the changes? Yeah, nutrition is a really important um, component, I believe. Um, it's, it's one of the main things that I start out working with families who have children with these challenges um, is helping them to understand how food um, and nutrients impact their child, uh, impact their behavior, their mood, their learning, those kinds of things. So there are several uh, nutritional strategies that I think are helpful for parents to start with. One really basic thing that, that people often overlook is the importance of uh, water intake and good hydration. Many of the children that I see are quite dehydrated. Um, they're not getting enough water intake during the day. The things that they are drinking are things like milk, um, you know, soda pops, uh, juices, sports drinks, things like that, that while those provide hydration, um, they don't provide really the hydration that the brain and the body need. And, and children require a lot of just good plain water to help their brains and bodies function well. So one of the first things I have families think about is if they're not already drinking water as their primary beverage, changing to that, making sure that children have water bottles in school with them or access to fresh water throughout the day, especially when they're in school um, and trying to focus and learn. So water is a really big one. Another area for parents to think about with nutrition is the amount of chemicals in the food that their children um, are, are eating, the foods that they're eating. So things like reading uh, package labels for looking at are there uh, food dyes, artificial food dyes, um, I know that for families outside of the U.S., you know, for families like where you are um, in Europe, that's an easier uh, process here in the U.S. So much of the foods that are made for children have a lot of chemical dyes and things in them. So it's important to um, choose uh, packaged foods that don't have those artificial dyes, artificial sweeteners, things like aspartame, uh, Splenda, um, you know, sucralose, those types of things are very toxic for children's brains. Um, and so, and, and for adult brains too, but especially for, for children. So um, avoiding foods that have those artificial sweeteners um, and, and anything 
you know, a, a good rule I think for parents um, to, to use is when you're reading ingredients on a food package, if it's a very, very long list, if it's a list of things that you don't know how to pronounce, that you've never heard of, that you would not cook with in your kitchen, then that's probably a very heavily processed food that is not going to be very supportive of your child's brain function. So looking at moving towards what we call a more whole foods diet, meats and nuts and fruits and vegetables and whole grains and foods that are more in their form of of uh, how they grow or how we would cook them in our kitchen and not all of these packaged, very processed, very sugary foods. You know, even thinking about sugar, sugar impacts kids um, in some very negative uh, ways. And one thing that I really uh, encourage parents to think about is making sure that children are eating a breakfast that has a good amount of protein in it in the morning, especially before they go to school. Um, here in the US especially, breakfast tends to be a lot of um, carbs and sugar. So a lot of sugary cereals, pastries, uh, things that may give a child energy initially because they have a rush of sugar. Um, to their body and their brain. But what happens is they crash from that very quickly. And so their mood can become unstable. They have problems focusing. They can't sit still then in school. Their behavior is all over the place. So something as simple as starting the day with a good amount of protein with breakfast, things like eggs or meats or dairy, if they can tolerate, um, really helps to stabilize the blood sugar and helps children's brains uh, to be able to really uh, function better, for their mood to be more consistent, for them to be able to regulate their behavior better. Um, so, so those are just even some basic things that I think are, are important starting points uh, you know, for families to think about with nutrition, because the reality is that food has a huge impact on how we feel and function. And I think there's a lot of people who don't really uh, understand that, that what we feed our children has a big impact on how they feel and how they function um, and, and their ability to learn. And, and even on things like sensory processing, there are specific nutrients that are very connected to sensory processing problems. So, so the ways that we feed our kids really can either make the problems worse or they can make them much better. Huh. And could you speak a little bit more about the sensory processing food that's right for our kids? Yeah. So for kids with sensory processing issues, the things that I've mentioned already with food are important. Uh, good hydration with water, less food with chemicals, more fruits and vegetables and protein in the morning and things like that. Some of the nutrients that we know are connected to sensory issues, um, things like zinc. Zinc is a mineral that is important for many functions throughout the brain and body, but specifically to kids with sensory processing issues, zinc is an important part of what allows us to, uh, for example, uh, taste 
things well, smell things appropriately. Kids who have a lot of um, texture or taste sensitivities with foods or who are very aversive to smells react very strongly um, to smells or even uh, textures of things on the body. Uh, on their skin, clothing, those kinds of things. Um, often those children have uh, low zinc levels. And so feeding them more foods with zinc, things like pumpkin seeds, uh, seafoods and meats, uh, nuts, those types of things can be helpful. But also many of these children benefit from some zinc supplementation. So uh, using either liquid zinc or capsules or tablets of zinc, um, can be very helpful for some of those sensory sensitivities um, in, in some kids. Um, B vitamins are also important for children who have sensory processing issues. Specifically, B6 is a very important nutrient um, for helping many uh, processing capabilities in the brain to work properly. So B6 is uh, often thought of as an energy producing uh, or an energy supportive nutrient, but it has many other roles as well. So again, some children with sensory processing issues benefit from a vitamin containing um, extra B vitamins, specifically B6, uh, also eating more uh, Things like, uh, you know, meats contain uh, B vitamins. Some foods are fortified with them, things like that. Um, magnesium is another mineral that I find can be very beneficial for some children with sensory processing issues, especially if they tend to be quite anxious, have difficulty um, sleeping at night, have very restless uh, bodies, restless legs, restless uh, sleepers, um, kids who tend to be very hyperactive, needing to move all the time. Magnesium is a mineral that most people are deficient in. It's very difficult to get enough magnesium, even from a very good diet. Um, so improving magnesium levels can make a huge difference for some of these children. Magnesium uh, is found in dark leafy greens, things like uh, spinach, kale, collards, things like that. Uh, there's also some nuts that have um, magnesium, many, many food sources of magnesium. But what I find is most helpful is using supplementation with magnesium because again, our bodies need quite a bit. And even with a really good um, diet, it can be difficult to get enough. So using either um, uh, there are liquid magnesiums. There's powders that you can mix in water that are very easy for children to take. There's tablets or capsules. Um, magnesium can be a very, very beneficial uh, nutrient for, um, for many kids with sensory processing issues. And then the other one that comes to mind is omega-3 fatty acids. So omega-3 fatty acids are found, many people think of uh, fish oil. That's uh, one of the most um, rich sources of omega-3 fatty acids. And these are really important for supporting the brain, brain structure and brain function. And so when we have kids with sensory processing issues or related kinds of issues, they're having uh, challenges with connections in the brain. Omega-3 fatty acids uh, are directly supportive of brain structure and function because brain cells are made, especially the outer membrane of brain cells, are made of these fatty acids, specifically DHA and EPA, which are two specific types of omega-3 fatty acids. 
research has shown now for a long time that omega-3 fatty acids can be very helpful for children with any type of neurodevelopmental issue. They can be taken as a liquid. They can be taken as a capsule. Um, also eating uh, fatty cold water fish multiple times a week, two to three times a week, things like salmon, mackerel, tuna, sardines, any of those types of fish very rich in these omega-3 fatty acids that are very supportive of brain function. In general, though, um, the therapeutic dosing of omega-3 fatty acids for children and adults is quite a bit higher than, than what you can necessarily get from eating fish. And some children really, you know, it's a struggle to get them to eat fish. So I find that using the liquid formulas or um, a capsule formula can be very helpful because you're looking at you know, at least 2,000 to, to often 3,000 uh, milligrams or higher for children, um, depending on the challenges that they're having. So it can be easier to do that in a liquid or a capsule form. But um, many parents notice uh, after two to three months quite, a, quite an improvement in, um, in their child's symptoms by adding the omega-3s. Uh-huh. So we spoke a lot about nutrition, but is it the only way to change behavior or would you suggest something else? Um, nutrition is one component. I think very rarely is there a child where just one uh, approach is, is what's needed. So nutrition is an important one. But there are several other areas that, that I address with families. Um, one is sleep. Sleep is a big problem for many children with neurodevelopmental issues. They either are not falling asleep well, they're not staying asleep, they're not getting enough good quality sleep. So sleep is absolutely something that we want to um, address to make sure that children are sleeping well. And sometimes there are uh, nutrition supports to help kids sleep. Um, there are also uh, parenting strategies to use with routines and structure and things to make sure that children are having a good uh, bedtime routine, have a good sleep environment. Um, some children do have uh, problems like sleep apnea or other types of medical issues that are preventing them from sleeping, and we need to look at that and, and treat those. So sleep is a really important issue as well. And then movement is a big one. Um, children uh, today are not getting nearly the amount of physical activity and movement um, that they need to support their brain development and function. Um, I think that uh, electronic devices have a big role to play in that. Now many children are uh, sitting and playing on the video games, on their smartphones, things like that, instead of going outside to play or doing exercise or things like that. And what we know is that children's brains need movement in order to develop properly. So especially for children who have sensory processing problems or things like ADHD, autism spectrum disorders, those types of things, they need to be moving throughout the day. Um, and that can be, uh, you know, as simple as running around outside, uh, playing on the playground, going for a bike ride, um, taking walks, doing uh, obstacle courses, doing specific types of, you know, sensory movement activities um, in school, too. It's very important. Children need a lot more movement here in the States. Um, most schools have maybe one 15 minute period of recess play during the day. 
Um, it's not enough, especially for children with these challenges. They need to have movement breaks throughout the day, opportunities to move their body that supports their brain function. So that's another area um, that we look at. I also think that teaching skills uh, in, in the area of calming and mindfulness are important. Children need to have ways to support themselves when they're feeling overwhelmed, when they're feeling frustrated, tools that they can use, whether it's uh, breathing or um, kids' yoga activities or teaching them some simple body relaxation strategies, um, ways that they can uh, learn to calm themselves and, and take some time to support their brain in that way and teaching parents how, how to do the same, how to encourage um, everyone in the family using strategies that help improve mindfulness and, and support calming and, and regulation. Um, and then the other big piece that uh, I focus on is, is the parent aspect of how we can communicate with children um, in a way that is supportive and, and helps their development, how we can reduce the amount of um, arguing or um, tantrums or those types of challenges that parents are dealing with, giving parents the tools um, to be able to handle those things, because certainly it can be very stressful and time consuming and, and challenging to handle you know, some of the things that come up with children who have these kinds of issues. So giving parents the, the strategies and the tools to handle that. So, so those are all of the areas that I look at. And I think for most children, um, there are pieces of each of those areas that are important to help them improve. Exactly. And um, Dr. Nicole, why doesn't medication work? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Big question. Well, yeah, I mean, here, here's the thing. Medication does work for some people depending on how you define work. So, you know, the, the, the main approach has been when kids are having problems like, you know, paying attention in school or they're hyperactive or they're having behavior issues, the, the main approach of, of the last you know, 30 years or, or more has been, oh, we have medication for that. We give them Ritalin or if they're anxious or you know, behaving poorly, we give them something like Prozac or Abilify or these kinds of things. And um, the problem with that is these medications really don't solve the problems for most kids. Sometimes you may have a child who has a positive response to one of these medications, but even then it's a Band-Aid. It doesn't actually treat the underlying issues. It's just a Band-Aid and it can help them function better when they're taking the medication, but you still need to address the underlying issues you know, to help their brain function better and, and to really help them improve. But the reality is that most children don't improve with these medications. And we know that now from years of research looking at really poor outcomes um, with these medications. Not to mention, we don't have an understanding of how or why they work. For all the research that's been done on these medications, there still is not a good answer about how they work or why they work or when they work or who they can work for. We have very limited information and yet you know, the first approach tends to be putting kids on medication. The other real concern that I have is that there can be very significant side effects from these medications. 
So things like worsening of mood or anxiety, uh, causing sleep problems, agitation, you know, increasing hyperactivity, all of those types of things that can get worse for children. And the reality is we have very little research with children at all with these medications. Most of the research has been done in adults. And the assumption then is that, well, if the, if the research shows these are fairly safe for adults, then they're you know probably safe for kids too. But most parents don't realize that there are very few studies actually looking at what these medications do to children. And we don't have any long-term studies. And that is one of my big concerns is that we have virtually no research showing us what happens over the long term of having children on these medicines. So we can see short-term side effects, but what we don't know is what's the potential damage if we put a child on an antidepressant, for example, at five years of age or eight years of age or 15 years of age. We have no idea what impact that may have on their development or on their functioning as they go through adulthood. So really, children for the last few decades have been used as um, test cases or guinea pigs to, to see how this is going to, to work out. And, and to me, um, when we have all of these other approaches that are very effective and safe to help manage these things, medication should be one of the last things that we look at. And only in cases where we haven't been able to find any other approaches that can help, then, then you know, sometimes looking at medication um, can be an important last resort. Um, but it should be something that we look at after many other things have been tried. My opinion is that it should not be something that is used first or second in the process. And from your experience, most families who come to you come while they're medicated or before? To my clinic, um, I would say it's probably somewhere around 60 to um, 70 percent of families and children who come to the clinic, their child is taking one or more medications or has been on medications. Um, it's just, it's the norm, at least here in the United States, um, that tends to be uh, what happens is children are sent for some counseling and they're given a prescription for a medication. So it's pretty common that the children that we see here um, in my clinic uh, are taking medication or have taken medication. The concern too is that many of them are not just taking one medication. They're taking two or three or four or sometimes eight or 10 medications um, and still having uh, problems and still having significant challenges. And you know, it's the, the use of uh, those multiple medications that's even more concerning because we have absolutely no information or research on the impact of, of that um, on children. And yet the approach tends to be, well, if we tried one medication and there's still problems, we add another, we add another. Uh, and, and some of the, the, the cases that we see are very complicated um, with trying to figure out what problems are being caused by the medication, um, what problems, you know, is the child actually having versus what are the side effects? It can get very complicated for parents and for clinicians to figure out. And what was your message for parents? My message for parents is that there should be an incredible amount of hope that 
they have, that their children can and will improve, that there are so many things that can be done, whether we're looking at um, approaches with food and nutrients or parenting approaches or supports in school or specific uh, you know, techniques uh, like visual processing strategies, sensory strategies, so many opportunities and so many possibilities um, of ways to help children with these challenges. Every parent should have hope that, um, that their child can improve, that their child will improve, and should um, have the belief that there are things that they can do to support that that improvement. So I really want parents to have have hope for that. And how can parents contact you? Uh, yes. So two different ways. Um, my clinic website is horizonsdrc.com. And there they can find out more about um, my clinic. We work with families throughout the U.S. and all over the world. We're able to do, um, you know, video consultation and things with people. So they can find out about my clinic there. And then my website, drberkins.com, it's D-R-B-E-U-R-K-E-N-S.com. Um, that has lots of... Um, articles, videos, lots of free resources for parents who want to learn more about these topics, who want to explore their options, understand more about um, these things. My book is available uh, there as well as on Amazon. So that's another uh, way that they can find out more about, about me and about these topics. Huh. Does your book ship to the UK? Because I saw it only ships in the US. Um, from the web, from our website, it only ships to the U.S. It is available on Amazon and can go to anywhere through Amazon. Okay, great. So, Dr. Nicole, thank you so much for the lovely chat we had and all the information you provided. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great time. Oh, thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this Sensory Change podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review and don't forget to subscribe. For more information on sensory input and ideas, visit danaletta.com. Join our community this month to get a free seven-day online course packed with practical sensory activities and strategies.